I want you to take your Bible and turn with me to the Psalms, and we are going to be looking at one Psalm in particular today, Psalm 88. Psalm 88. Uh, Last Sunday concluded a sermon series, and so whenever I'm between a series, I'd like to take some time and pray and just see if the Lord would put some topic or some trends that I'm observing in our church or around us and just hit on those. And today, I want to pick up on one of those trends that it's not exclusive to one or two or three conversations, but really it's just something that probably all of us that are observant have been seeing. And it's just this topic of depression. I think you'll find encouragement today as we look at how the Bible gets us and understands what we are going through. As you look at the book of Psalms, it is a book that is songs of the Bible. And of these 150 songs, roughly one-third of them are classified as laments. That is, the writer of this song is pouring out his heart of pain and anguish. And most of the time, that song ends with a ray of sunshine, of hope, attaching itself to who God is, that he is our strength, that he is our tower, he is our fortress. But there is one psalm that sets itself apart from all the others. It's called the saddest of the psalms. And it's Psalm 88. It begins in darkness, and the last word of it is darkness. And so, pardon me for a few moments today, as we've had such wonderful, upbeat music. But I think this psalm is going to bring us down a little bit. And I think by the end of our message, hopefully that we are back up to where the Lord would have us. But I want you to feel the tone of this psalm. Read with me, and I'm going to actually begin in the postscript that actually is before verse 1, where it says, A song, a psalm of the sons of Korah to the choir master, according to Mahalath and Leonoth. Amaskal of Heman the Ezrahite, verse 1 says, O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you, incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength. Like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, And you overwhelm me with your waves. Selah. You have caused my companions to shun me. 
You have made me a whore to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eyes grow dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do they departed rise up to praise you? Selah. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abdedon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O Lord, cry to you in the morning. My prayer comes before you. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your tears. I am helpless. Your wrath is swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood. All day long, they close in on me together. You've caused my beloved, my friend, to shun me. My companions have become darkness. Would it not be just like the Lord to take such an honest song and to use it in our lives for good? So let's pray to that end. Father, as we look here at Psalm 88... Some of us, including myself, might be surprised to say, why would you include this song here? And I hope that by the end of our message today, we would have an answer for that. It's a a psalm that helps us to understand that that you understand us and, and Jesus gets us as well. And I pray that there would be empathy there would be hope that would be experienced by the careful reading here of Psalm 88 and now its teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning, I just want to make four remarks on Psalm 88. And here's the first. Depression happens. Depression happens. I read the postscript intentionally here, even before we got to verse 1. And it tells us who the author of this psalm is. It's a man by the name of Haman. Now, I'm deliberately pronouncing it that way because in my generation, there was one called He-Man. And he had this blonde hair with a bowl cut with bulging muscles. And maybe some of you have had an action figure. And I'm afraid if I kept using the word He-Man, that it it would... throw you off. So I'm going to use the, the, pronounce it this way, Haman. Well, who was this Haman? Fortunately, the Old Testament does provide some insight of that. Haman was wise, had a talented family, a successful career, and experienced depression. Let me just read to you a few passages of the Old Testament that speak about who Haman was. In 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 29 through 31, as God has poured out wisdom on Solomon, there's a description provided of how much wisdom Solomon had. Let me read that to you. It said, And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breath of mind like the sand of the seashore. 
so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan, the Israelite, and Haman. It's interesting that when in God's word they wanted to provide a measuring stick of how wise Solomon was, he compared them to Haman, who evidently was a wise man, a godly man that not only knew God's ways, but applied God's ways. He not only was godly or wise, but listen to the family. He was a family man. In 1 Chronicles chapter 25, verses 5 and 6, it said God had given Haman, listen to this, 14 sons and three daughters. Verse 6, they were all under the direction of their father in the music in the house of the Lord with cymbals and harps and lyres for the service of the house of God. Friend, if there's a dad that can orchestrate 14 sons. Let's just stop right there, right? (laughs) And get them all to play harmoniously together and throw in three daughters. That's an incredible man. And they were used there in the house of God. He not only was a godly man, he not only was a, a family man, but he had a successful career. We could look at Second Chronicles chapter 5, and we would see there that the Ark of the Covenant was being brought. It was being transported. The Ark represented God's presence. And so when it was moved, they were going to provide some music for that. They were going to have a bit of a, a worship service. And who makes the short list of people that are hired to sing at that event? You guessed it. Our man, Haman. Any one of us in this room, or in the sound of my voice, would have counted it an honor to have Haman a friend. And with all due respect to you, Scott, we would have loved to have him as our music minister. He would have had his own choir, amen, (laughs) and orchestra. He would have had his own student ministry, Jared. I mean, this guy was not only wise, he was devoted to his family, and he was successful. And he experienced depression. Now, where did this depression come from? Was there a a cause, underlying cause? I don't think Psalm 88 provides an answer for that, and I'm glad it doesn't. I think it's, it's vague intentionally. You know why? Because if we knew enough about Haman that maybe he had brought this depression on because of guilt of sin, we might have said, well, I'm glad I never struggled with that, and and Psalm 88 is not useful to me. But it's intentionally left broad here, I think, so that we can all glean from the benefits of his song. If one were to look real hard and ask this question, what led to his depression? Well, they might look at verses 7 and 8 that speak about His companions or people around him no longer with him. Look at what it says there in verse 7. You have caused my companions to shun me. In verse 18 it says, you've caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. Perhaps he was sad because relationships had been severed. 
There's also something to be said about wrath here in verse 7. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. Verse 16, your wrath has swept over me. And so some have concluded, well, perhaps his despondency is a result of some consequences of his sinful choices. How long did this depression go on for Haman? We're not exactly sure, but some would point to verse 15 where he wrote, afflicted and close to death from my youth up. That potentially he experienced depression as a young man and he's been living with it off and on his whole life. It's possible that that is true. It's also possible that it was just brought on by some outward circumstances that are now having an impact on his inward thoughts. Well, what was Haman's depression like? Consider the metaphors that he uses here in his song. In verse 4, he uses the word pit. I'm counted among those who go down to the pit. In verse 6, he uses pit again. For you have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Another metaphor he uses is the grave or dead In verse 5, he says, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave. In verse 7, he uses the word waves. He says, your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. I'm not sure that living in the Midwest, as wonderful as Lake Michigan and Lake Superior are, that we really get the impression of what the damage waves can do. I think of when we've gone on vacation to the Outer Banks in North Carolina or even this summer out to California and been on the Pacific Ocean or the Atlantic Ocean. And and as people that don't know the ocean, we just immediately run out to the biggest waves we can and want to just get slammed down by them and just the sheer momentum just drive you to the sea's floor. And then when you go up out of the water, you can't wait to tell your son or your brothers or your friend how big of a wave that was. Before you can even capture a breath, another wave hits you and knocks you down to the same level. That's the picture here. That for Haman, every time his phone pings with a notification, with an email, with a text, it's another wave of bad news. Every time there is someone that comes to his front door and offers him an announcement of some sort, it's one wave after another of bad news. Another metaphor he uses here is in verse 8. It's that of a prison. He says, I am shut in so that I cannot escape. It's not only to be stuck in a pit, it's not only to have these waves slamming it against you, but he just doesn't have anything he can do to get out of it. Now, one pastor that's quoted from this pulpit often is Charles Haddon Spurgeon, who was no stranger to depression. And maybe you're here this morning and you say, I don't know what he is talking about. I'm glad I've never experienced depression in my life. Well, would you just listen to these next two sentences that Pastor Spurgeon said? He said the mind can descend far lower than the body. For it, there are bottomless pits. The flesh can bear only a certain number of wounds and no more. 
but the soul can bleed in 10,000 ways and die over and over again each hour. In verse 3, it says, For my soul is full of troubles. What Pastor Spurgeon is saying is, physically speaking, there is no such thing as a bottomless pit. But to the soul that is wounded, to the mind that is impaired, there is such thing as a bottomless pit. And while the physical body can only sustain so many blows before it will bleed out and find relief in death, the soul is not quite as fortunate because it can bleed out every hour and it bleeds out again the next hour. And it's as if there is no relief. What a graphic picture. So what were some of the symptoms of his depression? We'll look at verse 4. He says, I am a man who has no strength. Another symptom is his judgment is clouded. Look at verse 9. My eye grows dim through sorrow. It's like I can't see clearly. Not not physically, but his decision-making is cloudy. And then there's just questions that are that are ruling him about the afterlife. Look at what it says in verses 10, 11, and 12 are these questions. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? You see that word selah, which uh, means pause. Just just think about that for uh, the guitarists in our midst this morning. That might mean hit a guitar solo at this point and, and let us think a little bit more on that question. And now let's come back in verse 11. Here's some more questions. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness and abandoned? That just means a place of destruction. Another question in verse 12. Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? There are all these lingering questions. And then let me just close with one more symptom that's found in the last verse of how Psalm 88 ends where it says darkness is his friend. It seems to suggest that God's no longer my friend. You know who my real friend is? It's darkness. Some of you are thinking back to a song that was written in the 60s, right? From a 21-year-old named Paul who began this song of the sound of silence with what? Hello, darkness, my old friend. And that he would write with his friend Art Garfunkel, and it would go on to be this great hit for them. If I'm Haman, I'm wanting royalties on that song. Because that opening line did not originate with Paul, Simon. We see it here in Psalm 88, verse 18. He says in verse 15, I'm helpless. I wonder how many of you have experienced a time like this in your life, or maybe you find it right now. I can think of uh, several years ago when our family lived and we were pastoring in Michigan. We started out, uh, first few years of ministry were just wonderful. 
people were very hospitable and very encouraging, and a lot of exciting things were taking place at the church. You know, I had went to seminary, but I kind of lived by this simple statement. I'm going to go to that church, I'm going to love the people, and I'm going to teach them the Bible. What possibly could go wrong with that? And it wasn't long, loved ones, before I found out what can go wrong. Because the church is made up of people, of which I am one of them, right? And there was opposition, and there was conflict. Man, and church was not that joyful place to be that I had once known. It was a season of a hard time within that local church. And I can remember one fall in particular as we were going through that, Whereas I look back at that, I think I experienced some depression. And it was, it was made known to me on one fall afternoon where I was trying to rake the leaves in our yard. We lived in a parsonage where there was a house that was about 100 yards behind the church. And in that yard was a, a yard filled with ash trees that were shedding their leaves. And there were leaves everywhere in the backyard. And so I had a big tarp, I had my rake, and I was raking leaves into this as best I could. And, and I took a big load out, and I, I dumped it, and I, I brought it back. And it was as if I'd taken out one load. By the time I got back, there was like two or three more loads that were right there because of a windy day and all the leaves that had fallen. And this depression had such an effect on me that it was just like, I don't have the strength to do this. I don't even want to try right now. I'm going to have to come back this at another time. I just rolled up the tarp, put the rake away, and I said, I'm going to do this another day. Depression happens. All right, now that's the lowest moment in our sermon, I hope. So let's look at the second part here. And that is depression offers opportunity. When we read carefully Psalm 88, all these 18 verses, and we compare it to other stories or other men in the Bible, likely there'll be a man that he too was wise. He too had a phenomenal family, and he too was successful. And this man had everything stripped away from him, just like Haman. Who is that? But Job, do you remember him? He had seven sons and three daughters, 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. And do you remember in the chapter one of Job, of the conversation that took place between God and Satan? And, and here was the, the statement that Satan was saying to God, of course Job serves you. You have a fountain of blessings that is pouring out over his life. But what if you turned off the spigot and you took those blessings away from him? Then we will see if you will truly worship him or not. The quote from Job 1, he said, You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will curse you to your face. The only reason that Job is serving you is because of the blessings that you're giving to him. 
depression provides an opportunity for us, as it would appear that the spigot of God's blessings have been turned off. The question that each of you are going to have to ask yourself that are Christians here today, is this conversation between Satan and God the only time such a conversation has taken place? Or has there been a variation of this conversation that has taken place over and over and over again over the annals of history? And has the conversation taken place actually about you and your Christian life? I mean, let's just be honest. Let's not play games here today. If we were to be asked, why is it that we are really serving God? Would we not be honest to say, well, it has a lot to do with the blessings that he gives to me. But what if we went through a period of time where it seemed like all those blessings were stripped away? And now we had a moment to find out, why are we truly serving God? Are we going to worship Him or not? Do you have a strategy when you experience a time of discouragement, melancholy, and depression? Is there anything here in Psalm 88 for that strategy? And I think the answer is a resounding yes. Because you see, what he did throughout this psalm, as honest and as dark as it might seem, to Haman's credit, he continued to pray. Look what it says again in verse 1. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Verse 2. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. In verse 9, he says, I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. And in verse 13, as he's bleeding out his soul during the evening, in verse 13 it says, but I, O Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. In the midst of this dark depression. The grace of God is shown in Haman's life that he continues to pray through it. Another thing I just want to direct your attention to, the second word of Psalm 88 verse 1 is the word LORD, and you will notice that it is in all caps. That's the first time of four times within this song. And that's a significant word because it speaks of the covenant-keeping God, that this is the God that keeps His promises. And when it seems as if God is turned on Haman, He continues to cry out to him. And that's a great strategy for us all. Haman remained devoted to God even when it appeared God was withholding blessings from him. I might take you back to that last line of our song again, verse 18, where he says, darkness is my friend, and maybe, maybe pivot the meaning to that. Perhaps darkness can be our friend, because it's at that time where we realize thing, everything else has been stripped away, 
and we find out, am I truly going to follow God for who God is, that he keeps his promises? I think Haman would agree with Job when he said in Job 13, verse 15, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Well, then thirdly, a third remark here of Psalm 88, and that is, where is Jesus in Psalm 88? That's a question that we should be asking ourselves whenever we get to the passage of Scripture, particularly the Old Testament. And many of you are already smirking because you know exactly what Psalm 88 is about. Historically speaking, the church on Good Friday would read two different psalms. Psalm 22 and Psalm 88. Because in Psalm 88, this may very well have been on Jesus' lips as he was carrying his cross, as he was being crucified on the cross. And Tim Keller In his remarks on Psalm 88, he speaks of how Jesus took the total abandonment, darkness, and wrath and death so that we might know that God is still there. And I I think that's a great comment that I just want to borrow for point three of our message here. Whereas Haman might have thought and felt, and it could have been just exaggerated a bit, that he was entirely abandoned, Actually, Jesus was entirely abandoned. Where Haman thought he was in darkness, Jesus was actually in full darkness. Where Haman thought he was experiencing the wrath of sin and and death, he hadn't experienced anything like what Jesus had experienced. You might be asking yourself this question, why in the world would God allow Psalm 88 to be placed in the songbook? And I think the answer to that is this. God gets you. His word understands you. And loved ones, he can handle your honesty. Not only does God get you, but Jesus gets you as well. And Jesus identifies with all the emotions that we see here in Psalm 88. When Haman felt abandoned, it was Jesus who was abandoned for him. In Luke 23, verses 49, it says, And all Jesus' acquaintances and the woman who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching all these things as Jesus was on the cross. Jesus was abandoned. Haman thought he was alone and in the darkness, experiencing wrath. But listen to what Matthew 27, 45 through 46 says. Now on the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lime sabachthian, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Haman had all these questions about death and could God redeem death? Like in chapter 88, verse 10, he says, Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? And Jesus would offer a resounding answer in John eleven twenty five: 25, I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Those who experience depression or are experiencing it right now can bank on this. 
that Jesus can identify with what you are going through. If I use the word TED Talks, do you know what I'm referring to? They are sermons for secularists, right? And there was a great one, 2010, by a sociologist named Brene Brown. And she was speaking on the topic of empathy, that when someone's going through suffering, how do you relate to them? And she says there are two non-helpful words that you can use and two very helpful words you can use. The two non-helpful words are this, at least. Well, my, my son just got expelled from school. Well, at least your daughter's still in school. She's got a 4.0. Well, we just had a miscarriage. Well, at least your wife was able to get pregnant. My left arm's got to be amputated. Well, at least you have your right arm. (laughs) At least does not help at all. But she said, you want to know what two very helpful words are? Me too. You're going through that pain right now? I've been there. Me too. And if you hear anything else from Psalm 88, as Jesus says to you, me too. I know what it's like to be abandoned. I know what it's like to be in darkness. I know what it's like to feel the wrath. And I took it all upon you so that you would know that the Father is still there and He will care for you. Let me read to you one more quote here, not from Spurgeon, but listen to what Michael Wilcox in his commentary on Psalms says. He says, This darkness can happen to a believer. This psalm says, It doesn't mean that you're lost. This darkness can happen to someone who does not deserve it. After all, it happened to Jesus. This doesn't mean that you've strayed. This darkness can happen at any time as long as this world lasts because only in the next world will such things be done away with. This darkness can happen without you knowing why. But there are answers. There is a purpose And eventually, you will know it. Let me just leave you with a final remark then. And that is depression can often lead to beauty. That is, God does not waste the pain. In a moment, I'm going to tell you how Haman's pain wasn't wasted. But this week, I I came across another songwriter by the name of William Cowper. 1730 to 1800, and William was raised actually in a very religious home. When he was six years old, his mother died, and in order to kind of get him out of the house, his dad, from ages 10 to 17, sent him to Westminster School. There he learned his French and Latin and Greek, and and because of his distinguished family, he had an opportunity to go into politics, but in 1763, At age 32, he had no passion for that politics, and he had a total mental breakdown. Three different times he tried to commit suicide, and he was eventually put in a sane asylum. While there, a 58-year-old doctor named Nathaniel Cotton tended to our friend William. And he loved him, but this doctor was also an evangelical Christian. Christian. 
six months into his stay, Cowper just happened to find a Bible laying on a bench. And he began to read the story of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And he couldn't help but think, if Jesus raised that man from the dead, maybe Jesus could raise me from where I'm at. Increasingly, he felt he was not utterly forsaken. Again, he, he turned to the Bible, and the first verse he saw was this, quoting now from Hebrews 3.25, When God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past, though the forbearance of God. And this is what he would later write of that. He said, immediately, I received the strength to believe it. And the full beams of the Son of Righteousness shone upon me. And I saw the sufficiency of the atonement he had made. My pardon sealed in his blood. And all the fullness and completeness of his justification. In a moment, I believed and received the gospel. And unless the Almighty Arm had been under me, I think I should have died with gratitude and joy. Eventually, he was released. And he began attending a church where he befriended the pastor. You might have heard of that pastor. His name was John Newton, the one that wrote Amazing Grace. He too lost a mother at age six. For 13 years, Newton and Cowpert had a great relationship together, going for long walks between homes and talking of God and God's purposes for the church. And they got this idea of collaborating and writing some songs of hymns together. You probably have heard of this one. This man that experienced depression and that God brought beauty from it. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Or how about the last verse? Ere since by faith I saw the stream thy flowing woods supply Redeeming love has been my theme and shall be till I die. I wish I could tell you that for William Cowper, that that depression permanently lifted at his conversion, but it didn't. And he would struggle with it the rest of his life. But God brought beauty from that pain. And God brings beauty from Haman's pain as well. Haman contributed to these special psalms in the songbook called the Sons of Korah. In, in chapter 42, as well as 44 through 49, even if you don't believe that the Bible is inspired, even secularists will look at these selections of Scripture and will conclude that they are among the most beautiful ever written of anything in all of literature. And where did they come from? They come from the pain of one that experienced depression. Now, you might not be a songwriter today. You might not know how to play any sort of instrument. But if you're a Christian, you have some sort of giftedness that God has given to you. And so here's the encouragement from us as we leave Psalm 88. Whatever it is that God has given to you, heed the example here of Haman Get up every morning. And by the grace that he supplies you, pray. Honestly, call out to God. You can trust him 
He is one that keeps his promises. And don't stop serving. Whatever giftedness he has given to you, give all yourself to it and watch him work beauty from that. That as we consider our lives and whether we find ourselves there in the depths of despair today, this experiencing this depression, or whether it's just something we've passed out of recently, we can anchor the truth here that we can go to you as the Lord of our salvation. And so I pray that you would grant us the grace now, if we're experiencing this, to continue to persevere. But perhaps we we know of one that's going through it, and you would help us, like Jesus, to, to be able to demonstrate empathy towards him. And may we, as a family, not be ones that just put on a smiley face, but just would be authentic and real and at times as raw as the Bible is about the affairs of life. In Jesus' name, amen.